great. I just want to say thank you to the sound team because they make me sound good, which is good. You're always friends with the sound guys. Whatever they tell you to do, you do. So um, that's really cool. And they're going to bring up my PowerPoint for me, which is great. Can you put it on the screen as well for me? Is that all right? That'll be great. Double monitor. Cool. It's great to be with you guys today. And in some ways, the words we've sung are beautiful. We don't even need a sermon. If we just took those words about what Jesus has done for us, we could all just go home right now. Amen. Let's go. No, we're going to stay. Um, I've been doing some preparation. So it's good to gather with you, uh, people who want to love God, worship God, and love each other. Now, I normally attend Rally Street on Sunday morning, which is in Cambridge. And I know a few, when you lived in Cambridge, attended there. And Rally Street's uh, one of your sister churches in Christ. Um, so hello from Rally Street. I saw Brian Goodwin twice this week. Um, he comes here. Who remembers Brian? Like only three or four. I'll tell him that. I'll say, no one remembers your preaching, Brian. Um, he'll like that. He'll think it's funny. Um, he's a good guy. Um, for the last 16 and a half years, I've been working at Cape Ray uh, Bible School, which is an international ministry. They have 26 around the world, and uh, they have one just outside of Cambridge, and that's what I've been spending most of my time doing. Um, the last seven months, uh, Cape Ray has been uh, put into uh, hibernation because of a thing called COVID-19. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of that. And so I've been working as a as a security um, in the security industry, as a disciple of Christ disguised as a security officer with a badge and a uniform and sometimes a stab-proof vest. And it's been really interesting. Um, a whole different group of people. I've been in the high court, the district courts in Tokoroa, Morrinsville, um, Tikawiti. I've been all over the place and in Maitatien and other places. So it's been a really interesting journey for me, just seeing the other side of life, which is really cool. Um, I'd like to say thank you for inviting me today uh, to be here. I got a chance just to get into God's Word, and the thing is, I get more out of it than you do, because I'm the one who spends the week reading the Scripture and saying, what does it mean? And so me and God have been wrestling, and it's so cool to get into God's Word and think about what's going on. So it's been a privilege for me. It's awesome. Anytime you open God's Word, it is so, so profitable. <clears throat> so for those who weren't here last week, Hukunui is doing an event series um, thinking about Christ, focusing on Jesus, what's going on. And last week, your pastor, he did the first one, uh, looking from the book of Matthew, looking from John the Baptist, looking at his angle, what he sees in Jesus. And this week, I've been given the book of Job, looking from Job and his perspective of Christ, which is going to be very cool. Um, Advent is the four Sundays before um, Christmas, which actually starts next week, but we're early. It doesn't matter. It's an opportunity for Christians just to pause to think what's happening. You don't want to wake up on Christmas Day and go, oh, it's Christmas Day. You actually want to pause. And so in the church calendar, this time is just to be given to us just to think, to go through the basics again, stuff that I think you already know, but to go through the basics and go, what is Christmas about? To refresh ourselves so that when we wake up on Christmas, we've already had a number of weeks thinking about the gospel, thinking about what Jesus did for us, thinking about what those songs meant to us. So it's a, pretty cool, it's a pretty good time. The text that I was given is Job chapter 19, verse 25. So Job chapter 19, verse 25. I'm going to read from the ESV Bible. I don't know which one you use, but my one's better. Um, cool. Um, this book is actually in the middle of the Bible. It's a really long book. It's got about 42 chapters. Um, it's just before um, the... Uh, the Psalms and the Proverbs, and about eight books after First Samuel. And I think you know where First Samuel is, so you go that way backwards. Um, it's a real person, a real character. Um, Job is mentioned by other books in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. And it's a classic book on understanding suffering. So let me read from this uh, book to you. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin 
has thus been destroyed, yet my flesh, in my flesh I shall see God. Whom shall I see for myself? And my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. And so this is our text. Um, I'm going to spend most of the time on the first verse and unpack that. Now, just before I start, I want to do a little bit of a creative idea. I have a gift, and it's chocolate, and it's wrapped up in here, so you have to believe me. And I'm going to give it to Lee, my friend. Now, I've known Lee for a little while. Not, I've never been to his house. never been to my house. But I want to give him this gift because it's, it is Christmas time, and it is, it is chocolate. And I know it's his favorite chocolate because I, I know a little bit about him. So if you can hold that, you can't open it. So the wife, can you just make sure? Bash him. Um, you have permission to hit him. Um, so she's going to make sure he doesn't open it. So this is a gift. And it kind of reminds me of Christ. This is our gift that we have from Christ. And it's in this wrapper. And it's something you want. It's your favorite chocolate bar in there. You can't unwrap it yet. So just wait there. If I forget to mention it, put your hand up at the end of the sermon. I'll let you open it. So don't open it just yet. Now, from the beginning, what I want to do is just give you my, uh, my, my roadmap, my big idea. What I'd like to, to convey to you today is this. Uh, God's three stability truths for the believer's life of worship. So God's got three awesome blocks of truth, and they're for our life, our life of worship. And I want to talk about God's character is awesome, uh, his redemption is awesome, and God's indwelling life is awesome. So if someone from Sunday school who's not here today, or someone's gone away on a wedding or gone to Wellington, and they come back and they say, what did that guy speak about? Just say, um, he talked about God's three stability truths uh, for the believer's life of worship. Now, they'll think you're pretty cool, I'm just glad that you remember something from my sermon. Um, because when you Google it, it's pretty sad how much you actually remember after a sermon. So try to remember that. That'll be really cool. So let's move on. So let's look at our first of these uh, three truths. Uh, the first one in your text you'll see there is the word for. It's in the ESV. Um, the NLT uses the word but. The message uses the word still. Um, in the New American Standard, uses as for me. Now, the NIV Bible actually skips the word altogether, and that's okay. They're trying to have a dynamic equivalent, and it's a bit awkward in English to have the word for, and so they drop it altogether. But it's actually quite a special word. It's a conjunction. Um, the word still from the message is not quite a conjunction, but it, it does work in that way as well. So this is a, a conjunction. It draws us back to the context of what's going on. It wants us to be mindful of why what's going to happen. Now, in life, have you been to um, one of those conversations you walk halfway through and you think, what are they talking about? So you walk into a conversation, you hear something like, he's going to die and it'll be good for him. And you're thinking, are you talking about a person, an animal? Are you talking about my grandmother? What's, is it positive? Is it negative? Are you talking about them going for a run? It's going, they're going to die, but it's going to be good for them? Are you talk, what, what are you talking about? And you have those confusing times. And so with a conjunction, you need to look back to understand what the context is. Very important. The Bible explains itself. In the Bible, it actually says many times there is no God with a capital G. There's no Emmanuel. There is no God. So if you believe in the Bible today, how many believe in the Bible? Okay, only half of you. Cool. Um, or you don't like responding. I don't know what it is. Um, then you must believe there is no God because the Bible says there's no God. Now, obviously, it's the context which is important. A fool says in his heart there is no God. Someone who doesn't take God in consideration, he goes, oh, there's no God. So context is what, what opens it up and brings it back to us. So in our passage today, there are many people that speak in the book of Job, probably nine people that talk. So who is talking? In Job chapter 19, verse 1, we're told this, for my Redeemer lives, is spoken by Job himself. And who is Job? Job is a character, real character. Job chapter 1 tells us about Job's life. 
Job is living the dream. How many living the dream? Okay, more than read their Bible. Cool. Um, Job is absolutely living the dream. I mean, this verse is awesome. It says this. Uh, there, he, he had seven sons, and seven is that, that perfect number of God, and three daughters, another perfect number of God. So he had the perfect family, you know, the, the house, the dog, the picket fence, and he possessed 7,000 sheep. Now, last night, I Googled on Trade Me how much a purebred lamb would cost. It's around about $200. So that would mean he had about $1.4 million worth of, of, of lamb, which is pretty cool. I Googled camels, but I, didn't, I couldn't find it. You can't buy a camel in New Zealand. So I don't know how much they are, but let's just say they're expensive too, more than sheep. So this guy, is, he's made. He's got the finances. He's got the family. His kids even get on. My kids are getting on today. My two children are sitting at the front, and they're getting on. But his kids would have parties with each other. They got on really, really well. And so he's living the dream. But unfortunately, um, this dream turns into a nightmare. The text tells us that um, he loses his 10 children. He loses finances. Terrorism happens. They come in. They take his goods away. The money's gone. His reputation and his community is gone. And look how Job's friends describe him. They say they did not recognize him. As they came near to Job, they actually didn't recognize him because his body was so um, disfigured from his, the things that he had going on. It's pretty sad. And they saw his suffering was great. It was really great suffering. So on top of this, which I think is even worse, his three friends were accusing Job of being the reason why he's now in the nightmare. The reason why you're in the nightmare, Job, is because you've sinned. You haven't looked after orphans. You haven't looked after widows. You've done something behind God's back. And they go on and on. Just a quick, simple outline of the book of Job. It's a huge book. Chapters 1 and 2 tells us he's living the dream, goes to the nightmare. Then we spend a huge amount of chapters where the friends are debating Job. Job, you lost your house. You lost your wife. You lost your money because you've sinned. And then, of course, God gives the, the talk. And then there's the rebuilding phase. And this is where our word comes from, our first word in our text. For, for I know my Redeemer lives. So here, this guy, he's in a terrible situation. You could say that it is not a good situation. And yet, he speaks these amazing words. It's his low. You know, when things have gone wrong, when things aren't right, he recognizes the absolute truth that he has with God. And sometimes we meet God on the way down. Some of us meet God on the way up. Some of us meet God at different points. Remember in, in the book of Exodus, Pharaoh said, oh, they're lazy. That's why they want to go and worship God. Let's increase their workload and they'll forget about God. No, we don't forget about God when it's in the low. We don't forget about God when it's in the high. And so in this terrible situation, Job declares his faith. He declares his ultimate hope is in, is in God, which is really, really cool. Now, just a quick word about the debate. Um, it's a lot of chapters, and I don't want to get into too much, but I just want to quickly summarize just so you understand what's going on to help us with our context. The debate is about the retribution principle, this idea that the righteous will prosper and the wicked will suffer. And you put it together, if a person is righteous, if they're good, they will prosper. Everything will go well for them. And if they're wicked, if they misbehave, then they will suffer. Kind of the idea of Santa Claus, you know? If you're a good kid, good things are going to happen to you which is against really what God's talking about with grace. So this is the idea, and the idea is actually not right. It's mixed with truth and error. They've made some assumptions that are not right. So if you look at the behind the framework of this idea, first of all, God is just. Yes, absolutely. We know that God is just. He is fair. Um, he keeps people accountable. 
We also know that God is caring, loving. Um, he loves us, which is awesome. But then the third part of this argument is thus the assumption, well, then must be if you're righteous, then good things are happening, and if you're bad, bad things are happening. Now, this is where it falls apart, okay? Because you can't put God in a, in a certain box, and it's called like a corollary, okay? A plus B equals C, so therefore, C minus B equals A. Now, that works in mass really, really well. But when you're looking at God's characteristics and God's sovereignty, you can't sort of put God in this little tiny um, box. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself into, into real troubles. Um, John Walton says this. He's a, uh, a classic uh, Hebrew scholar, and he says this. And then the book affirms God's intention to operate by this retribution principle. So if you're good, he's going to bless you. But the implication is we cannot predict it, and we cannot say when it's going to happen. So therefore, since this principle is always not in our graphs and we can't dictate it, then it must be rejected, okay? And this is what's happening. It's kind of a mixture with truth. God loves us. God's caring. God is just, but he's also sovereign. And the example of this would be Job himself. Look what the text says about Job, right? Chapter 1. Um, there was a man from Oz whose name was Job, and the man was blameless, upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Some really good qualities. Yet, he's now living this nightmare. And the nightmare is not because he sinned. The nightmare is not because he sinned. Even God tells us about this. And the Lord himself says, he's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, he turns away from evil. And so we see this principle um, is not true. So while the retribution principle in general works, we can't dictate what God does. So in chapter 42, God gives a speech. And he reminds us that actually God is our best friend. The God of the universe who created everything is our best friend. But this person who created the universe, he knows every star by name. And there's more stars than there are sand on the, on the planet Earth. Imagine trying to name every sand. You'd, you'd give up after about 50,000. Yet God in his ability is way more advanced, way more knowledgeable than us. I mean, if God chose Lotto, he'd win every time. I've never won. Okay, so this is God's amazing ability. Before you can think, he knows what's going to happen. And so he doesn't tell Job the answer of suffering. He just says, look at my character, who I am. So God is sovereign. Okay, so you can't put God in a box. Our God is not a little tame little creature. You put in a box and say, this is my God. It's better to understand God is like a tree. And as you grow older, you understand more and more and you see more of God's character. He's faithful, he's true, he's consistent. But we're limited and we're going to grow in our knowledge of God and what he means and what he's done for us, which is cool. I love the way that Job responds to this situation. When things are not going as well, love what the way he says. This is what he says. He uses the words this. Then Job rose. He tore his clothes, which was a way of saying, I'm, in, I'm just really sad. He shaved his head, um, saying, I'm sad. And he went on the ground and he worshiped God. And he says these words. Um, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So this is the way he responds. He doesn't see God as a, as, a, as a box that he can control and manipulate. He doesn't see God as a vending machine. Who's been to a vending machine this week? Okay, no one. You guys are good people. That's unhealthy food. Okay, I've been to a vending machine. I quite like. So you go up to this vending machine, you put the coins in, and you choose what you want. And you say, I'm going to have this. This is not our God. Our God is powerful. Our God is sovereign. He is just and caring, but
but we cannot manipulate him. Sometimes things will happen that we don't want to happen, but we can completely trust him. Just think that you, let's say you went to church all this year, even when the COVID-19, you slipped in here on Sunday morning, sat here all by yourself every Sunday. And you said to God, God, I have been gone to church every day. I put every coin in the, in the, in the slot machine. And now there's the new PlayStation 5. God, I deserve it. You need to give me a good job so I can afford it and then have all the time on Saturday to play with it, you know? We can't treat God like this. God is sovereign. God is not a, a slot machine. So the bottom line is that Job never finds out about his suffering. And I don't think we will ever, too. Why do we suffer? Because we don't understand what God understands. Um, in this situation, it's about God's um, integrity. Satan says to, um, to God, look, Job only worships you because you're a slot machine. You're a vending machine. If you took away his health and his wealth and his kids, he wouldn't worship you. And God says, no, Job has genuine worship for me. He loves me. He, he truly does. And so actually, this book is actually not a test of Job. It's actually a test of God's qualities. And that's with my, uh, my outline. I've kept the word worship, and I've kept it as God first. God's three stability truths for the believer's life of worship. Because our life of worship is not based on God being a, a slot machine. It's based on God being an amazing, beautiful character, sovereign, amazing God. Someone, someone that we can trust. Someone who's awesome. So it's actually God who's on trial, and of course God wins. Um, Job doesn't. Job gets grumpy. Trust me, you read through those, he gets really grumpy, um, but he stays loyal to God. Now, suffering comes in different forms. You might be walking along a side of a building, and someone pushes you off. Okay, You suffer because someone else has sinned. You might be st standing too close to the edge and make a mistake and fall off. That's your fault. Or suffering might be because there's a, there's a natural disaster, there's a big wind, and you blow off the stage, and you fall a whole step down and kill yourself, okay? So suffering comes in different ways, and it's complicated, and God doesn't take the time to explain it. He just says, trust my character. I wasn't going to talk about my family, but I will quickly. Um, one of my children is learning to drive, and she is uh, doing things, and I say, trust me. When I say stop, you stop, because there are things you don't see. Like, there's a car coming that way. So she has to trust me. And eventually, she'll grow into understanding. But at this time, I'm playing the role of sovereignty, and she needs to trust me. Um, she doesn't always trust me, but I won't, I won't give you the name of my child. But I only have one girl child. Okay, so that's cool. So that's cool. Um, I was at school, and I had a, a Christian friend who was pretty on fire for Jesus. And um, he used to read his Bible during science class. We had this mean science teacher you know, throwing chalk, and you, you get whipped with a cane. And he caught my friend reading his Bible during class. And my friend used to say, I'm suffering for Jesus. And I'm like, no, you're getting the cane because you read your Bible during class, and you shouldn't have been. You're suffering because of your own silly fault. You're not suffering for Jesus. And that friend of mine, he's a great friend of mine. We had great theological debates in class during science. Um, but he always got caught reading his Bible. The teacher would notice him. Because in my day, you had to just copy what was on the board, and the teacher would stand there. Um, so yeah, so just be careful. Suffering is complicated. But the cool thing is um, God's character is awesome, and we can trust this. Moving to our second uh, point here, and that is this. Um, God's redemption is awesome. Job says, my redeemer lives in verse 25. Now the word redeemer um, has many different Hebrew words. In our English Bible, there's only one word, redeemer. And the word redeemer is not the same as in the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't have the title redeemer. So you have a couple of words for redeemer that we see the one English word. Um, but they both had the, the basic same meaning of being rescued, 
of being looked after, of being brought back. But of the two major ones, one is more of a family one, one is more of a, a friendship one, one is more of a personal cost, and the other one's more legal, legal one, more of a transaction. The word used in our text is actually the personal one, the personal cost one. And this word is, I guess, the best example is actually in the book of Ruth. This kingdom, this kingship, this, this friendship redeemer. Now, Ruth's in this terrible situation. Young woman in a foreign country, no land, no money, no husband, no identity, no protection. And then she finds this kingdom's redeemer. And it's a beautiful st story. The nearest relative, it becomes him. Uh, he has a duty in Leviticus. It talks about this duty. And he redeems her. And of course, she goes on to having a child and becoming the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. So she's adopted in, fully adopted in as a non-Jewish woman into the line of the Messiah. So our Messiah has this, this beautiful lady who's been redeemed. Now, this redemption is this picture that we have in Christ. In our situation, it's terrible, like her situation. And we need someone to help us. And this person, obviously, for us is God. And so redemption is awesome. Now, when we talk about redemption, we're, we're basically pulling ourselves into the, into the word, the gospel. And the gospel is the good news, and you know that. And the good news is best understood as a story. You can't put it as a formula. Um, it's best understood as a, as, a, as a story. Now, many people over the years have helped us understand the story by giving us four major kind of chapters to hang us on. And these four are creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Now, obviously, you need to go further than just understand these four. You need to let the story develop, the gospel become aware of it in your own life, and then develop the finer points of this. But this is the overall view. This kind of starts to give you the picture. Kind of like watching Star Wars, right? What is Star Wars about? My wife would go, uh, lots of robots. And, lot, and I said to my wife once, it's actually about one family's journey from the dark side to the light side. And that's what the whole movie is about. So the whole Bible is about the gospel. And these are the four parts of it. I just for fun came up with my own words. I called it the connection we have with God, the conflict, uh, Christ, and then Christ-like. I like words with C. So hopefully in 20 years' time, people will be copying my diagram, not, not the traditional one. People who illustrate this, and I think you guys would know this. This is the event. We're just going back through what we already really know. This is not really new to you. But we want to refresh it because we want to wake up on Christmas morning going, yeah, my Redeemer lives. Yeah, remind ourselves of, of how lucky we are. So some people have done it with trees, and this is pretty cool. Uh, they draw a tree, you know, in the garden, and then, of course, it loses leaves because sin happens. And then redemption, the leaves start to grow back. And then, of course, the full restoration when we're in the kingdom of heaven. And that's quite cool. But I prefer this diagram by somebody. You've got the world and you've got uh, the rain, although farmers like rain. Anyone a farmer? Okay, cool. So actually, you like rain. This is not actually sin. This is actually, it's actually, so the diagrams do fall apart, don't they? But you do have an empty cross. Jesus is off the cross. And then you have the kingdom, which is quite cool. So let's just walk through just a couple of verses um, talking about this to, to re-understand, to get ourselves an understanding of the gospel again for Christmas. So you know this, but let's just refresh ourselves. Uh, Genesis 1.26, it says then, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and all the creatures. So God, being three in one, made us in his image. We're a relationship being. We're designed to have a relationship with somebody else, with God, and with, with people. 
and we're designed to enjoy this earth, to explore it, to go with a men's group and jump in a watering hole and freeze and hopefully find a, a cool bike. We're designed to enjoy this world. We're designed to enjoy each other. That's where our privilege comes from. And so we're connected. This word I have is we're connected with God. We live in this beautiful place. But we have the four. What went wrong? Obviously not rain for the farmer. That's good. But what went wrong? We lost this relationship. Um, Genesis 3, 4 to 7. This, this is the conversation between um, Eve and the serpent. Then the servant said to the woman, Surely you will not die. She's challenging God. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. So you won't die and you'll be like God. And human beings, humanity, as male and female, bought into the lie that was presented before them, that they could be independent of God, that they didn't need this relationship, that they could be God themselves. And so they, 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 they responded inappropriately they walked away from God's character. Because sin in its basic form is actually saying, I don't trust God's character. I don't trust who God is. Sin is not sort of being naughty. It's actually doing things that are against God's character. It's lying, stealing, murder. These are the things God is faithful. God is true. And so we wrecked our relationship with God. We wrecked our relationship with each other. We wrecked our relationship with our planet. We wrecked our relationship with ourselves. And it didn't take long for this to to massage out into huge, terrible actions. Um, you get the, the, the first killing between two brothers. The first two brothers killed each other. Cain, um, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, took him out and killed him. He was jealous. God warned him, don't let sin take over you. And he was jealous of the, of the way he sacrificed. And so he killed him because sin has broken us. Turn uh, this beautiful creation that we had into a nightmare. For the wages of sin is death. So when we sin, those wages are death. The cool thing is later on we'll find the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. Now I have my water bottle today. Mm. Like water. Now Gary, um, no, not Gary. I'll pick on Gavin Lynch. You're my friend. Um, I've just drank out of my water bottle. Would you drink out of my water bottle? How about now? Drink out of my. How about hold my water bottle? Even with Corona going around, you want to you want to touch the thing? Okay, cool. But he won't drink out of my water bottle. It looks clean. There may be a little bit of backwash in there. But what Gavin's saying is this: this water is no longer pure, and Gavin is a pure man, and so he can't drink this because this is not. He doesn't want this to enter into his life. There's, there's, there actually is a little bit of backwash. Okay, that's right. Okay, and this is with God. When we sin, we break God's character. We're a liar, we're a thief, and God is about truth and kindness. And so like this water being pure, he can't have a relationship with that. And so we break our relationship with God. Gavin won't drink from my water bottle. God no longer can have a relationship with us because we've got this, this floaties going on in our life. And it gets worse. You give it a bit of time, and the two brothers, they kill each other, kill each other which is so sad. But the cool thing is Christ will bring us peace. The good news is the redemption. Um, in this verse, I wasn't going to share. There are hundreds of verses that I could have picked on today, and I thought, oh, I shouldn't do John 3.16. It's so overdone. But then I thought, no, no, do it anyway, because it's such a good verse. It really does summarize. So please, pretend like you've never heard this verse before, and, and think about it. It's such a cool verse. For God so loved the world. Now, in Greek, 
The word world is not trees. The word world is those people who are strained from him, those people who have sinned. So for God to love those people who'd sinned against him, that he gave his only son, he gave himself, that those whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So it's a beautiful verse. Maybe we read it too much, but try to just, for this event, to realize, wow, this is cool. So as Christians, there's only basically two things in Christianity. One is come to Jesus or believe, whatever biblical word you want to use. We are to believe in Jesus. And the other thing about Christianity is we are to remain, or the other word is to abide in Jesus. And these are the two things we're to do. We don't need to work for God. We don't need to try and please God. It's based on grace alone. And our responsibility is to come, to believe in Jesus, what he did for us, and to abide, to remain here, to sit here, to remain in his provision, not to drift away from it. Not to say, oh, thanks, Jesus, but I found my own water somewhere else. But actually say, no, you are the living water, which is cool. All right, um, Romans 8, 1, I love this verse too. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who go to church. No. There's no condemnation for those who wear a tie. No. There's no condemnation for those who go to church every Sunday. No. No condemnation for when you're in Jesus. Not if your family goes to church. Not if your father went to church. Not if your children go to church. It's when you're in Christ. This is where the redemption happens. In a person, it's a personal thing. Cool. Let's have another verse here. Um, the restoration. This is the part that we become a Christian, we become his children, and then we change. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, not in the church, not in good fellowship, not in good clothes, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Being in Christ makes us new. The old has passed away, behold, the new comes. And it goes on, there's heaps of other passages talking about the new heaven and the new kingdom that's coming. And we're going to live in this amazing new kingdom. We're now being changed, changed, transformed. Now, this hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. It's in the progress of happening. My children are progressively waking up, growing up, becoming stronger. They are somewhat, they are human. They're becoming a full adult. They're going, and same as us, we are accepted by Christ. We're his children, and now we're being transformed. God's preparing us a whole new world. And so that's the gospel. That's the basis of it as we come to Christmas, as we come to think about it. This is what Job says. He says, this is my Redeemer. For my Redeemer, he personalizes it. And we should also personalize it for ourselves as well. There's a psalm I like, 121. Um, I'll skip. The, oh, this is a quite, I love this verse. It's kind of scary. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. These guys, they go to God and he say, let us into heaven. And, they, and, and, and Jesus says, no, for I never knew you. But in this text, they say, we did miracles. We went to church on Sunday morning. And, and God says, it doesn't count. What counts is knowing me, having a personal relationship with me. So Job knows, he says, my Redeemer has that personal side of it. Here's the psalm I talked about. Who's ever seen these kind of posters up? You know, beautiful hill. And then you have the verse of scripture. You know, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Now, we need to, we need to go back and think of it from a Jewish perspective, right? From a Jewish perspective, Actually, the mountain is not beautiful, all right? Where does my help come from? Does it come from the mountains? No, the mountains are where the foreign gods are, where the idols are. 
the valleys and the mountains where the foreign gods are. So he's sort of saying, where does my help come from? Does it come from the idols? No. My help, personalized it, comes from Jesus Christ. So I've translated this for you in a different way. I lift my eyes up to my Ferrari. Where does my help come from? My help comes from my God. We have sin. We think maybe if I have a better car, my life would be better. I have a nice car. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. My car has um, leather seats. It has um, seat warmers in the wintertime. And I have air conditioning that works, which I didn't have as a teenager. It's a really cool car. But my car is not my redemption. My life will not change because of my car. Oh, I've only had this education. Education won't make us better. Oh, if only he was just married. If I've only just retired, it won't make us better. I lift my eyes to my credit cards. Where does my help come from? It comes from God. There's nothing wrong with money. Money is there given by God for us to spend some, save some, and give some away. It's a, it's a wonderful gift from God, but it's not where my help comes from. My help comes from God. So my God's redeemer, God's redemption for us is awesome. It's pretty awesome. Loving it. Cool. Let's move on. So the last one I want to talk about is um, the indwelling life of Christ. The word here afterwards is, is to live. My Redeemer lives. So he's kind of giving us the adjective saying that actually he's not a dead God. He's actually a live God. We don't worship a dead Jesus. He's actually alive. He's off the cross. We don't worship or give our redemption to a principle or a way of living. We're giving it to a person, a person who lives. Um, this Messiah lives. Hans, um, Handel's Messiah, the great famous kind of uh, performance play, the singing. Who knows Handel's Messiah? Oh, good. He takes Job 19 and he, he, he pairs it up with um, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, where it talks about that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's the first one risen. And so we have this alive redeemer. The question for us is, where is this redeemer if he's alive? Well, um, our redeemer is actually in us. He's with us. We have a relationship with him. I love Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. So when Christ died, I actually died with him. When I was baptized, I was baptized into his death and also baptized into his resurrection. So we have this amazing union. So Christ is actually with me. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives inside me. I don't want to say in my heart because that would be biblically incorrect, but you know, we say it's in our heart. But God lives in me and I live in God. I don't lose my personality. We become one. We become in a relationship, which is so cool. And it makes all the difference in the world. Look at Psalm 23, right? The lovely Psalm. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then it says, even though I walk through valleys of the shadows of death, right? That's the hard parts in life. The COVID-19s, the situations of death or financial ruin. Even though I walk through those valleys of the shadows of death where it's cold, what does it say next? I'll fear not what, because you are with me. So our Redeemer lives and he's with us. And that's what makes the difference. We're not living our principle that died 2,000 years. We're actually living with a God who lives with us today. And so just coming back to this, let's have a look at this. So we have three stability truths for the believer's life of worship. One is God's character is awesome. Okay? Um, it's not our strength. It's God's character. He knows everything. He's the superpower. He's the superhero. It's not a vending machine. Our strength is not our strength. We can't save ourselves. It's not self-help, get more money, go more education. You can be very educated and you'll still have this problem down deep in your soul. 
Uh, 1 Peter talks about sin wages war against our soul. Sin is not good for us. It's not a happy thing. Sin is actually a bad thing. It's not something to be played with. And then, of course, our strength is actually being with a living, indwelling God who's inside us as we walk. So this week, as we come to Christmas, as we come to this time, are we trusting in our own ability or are we trusting in God's ability? Are we trusting in God's redemption or developing our own redemption? Are we living the life of our own power or are we tapping into God walking with us through those hard, hard times? Now, I haven't forgotten your chocolate, Lee Hansen. Now, this is the point that you can open that now. I've given you a gift and you can choose. Yeah, open that one first. Why are you going to open that one? Oh, okay, open it up. What is it? Your wife can open the other one too. Oh, she's happy now. I put you in the good books, but it is about grace. It's not about, not about the good books. It's about grace. Oh, do you like that chocolate bar? That's his favorite chocolate bar because I asked him, okay? So he's received his favorite chocolate bar, something that he wanted. Now, he could have sat there and said, I'm not going to open this. And we have a choice this Christmas, this, this, this time with Jesus. We can open this gift that's from God. And Lee is smiling. Look at him smile. He, he's, he's smiling. We can open this gift or we can choose not to. And the cool thing is we can open this gift and we can share it. You probably can't share with everyone in this room. He's shaking his head. But we can share Jesus with everyone. And there is a choice. And sometimes we have to wait. The whole the relationship hasn't finished. Lee had to wait. How long do you have to wait? You probably think about that chocolate bar the whole way through the sermon. Were you thinking about that chocolate bar? Maybe, okay. So he was thinking about that chocolate bar. We're thinking about finally being with God. And he has a choice. Is he going to open it or not? And we all have that choice. So hopefully all of us this Christmas, we wake up Christmas Day, we can all say together, my Redeemer lives, for my Redeemer lives. Hey, why don't we say it all together? Can we do that in this church? One, two, three. For my Redeemer lives. Amen. 